0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F M. Now back to the good part.
1: On Sunday night, an act of senseless violence took the lives of UVA football players LaBelle Davis Jr., Devin Chandler, and Deshaun Perry. Not only were these young men exceptional on the football field, but by all accounts were just great young men to know or be around. Our condolences go out to the families of these young men the UVA football team, the UVA and Charlottesville community. We continue to pray for the healing of the other two individuals injured in this senseless tragedy. Today, this podcast, we are Hokies for Who's. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Along with the known face of this podcast, Coach Robbie Compton. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is presented by Dr. George Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, if you love the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you're supporting the Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just stop by to say hello. Also check out the Boundary Corners stickers. There's a load of them there. Jeremy will definitely give you one. Let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support most. So the next time you're in Blacksburg, head down to 301 South Main Street. Tell them Curtis, Brian, and Robbie sent you. Robbie, how you doing tonight, I man?
2: I won't know who I am, so it works out. I'm
0: doing
2: well, man. Doing well. Hanging out in my my high school team office and talk a little bit of hockey football.
1: Yes, we are, man. Now, Robbie, uh, show your shirt there just so everybody can see who you do coach. So, here's what I'm saying why we love having Robbie on. The North Wilkes football team in 2020 under Coach Watecki, who's one of your best friends in the football world, he came in. Struggling program. They won one game. You joined him last year and y'all won three games. Yeah. That's 300% improvement. Robbie, why don't you tell them what y'all did this year, man? Um,
2: We, we made a pretty good turnaround this year. We went seven and three overall in the regular season. Uh, only lost one game at home. Lost to the arguably best QA team in the state. And, uh, East Surrey, um, you'll know them. There's a there's a couple young men in Blacksburg right now from East Surrey, the that, that Gosnell boys, and um, really good program. But uh, we went into our first playoff game here um, week before last. Their first playoff game since 2013, I think it
1: was. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yeah, um, had been that down. Wow, what
2: I've been told. Seven and three regular season was possibly one of our best records, one of the top five best records in school history. So, well, dude, uh,
1: making some improvements, building some, building some guys, and hoping to, to build something good. Well, first of all, that's awesome. It's in the turnaround y'all have made there so quick. Um, I know y'all y'all we we mentioned that uh, there was a kid across town there that's currently committed to state and was heavy on yeah. the. Heavy on the uh, heavy on the Hokies radar, so um, but awesome that y'all turned around. And in case everybody's wondering where Brian is, Brian's currently riding Space Mountain around Disney Land, Disney World. I standing
2: in
1: line Nah, Brian's a savvy guy when he goes to Disney World. He'll get the front of the line stuff, but I'm sure he's having a blast. I know he mentioned a bar the beer, the
2: grilled cheese,
1: exactly. I mean, probably just spending some time in Germany and Epcot, just drinking all day, Uh, whatever. But the honest truth is the the reason this was a day that the park stays open late. Brian's obviously down there with his family. And uh, Brian hit up Robbie last week and said, hey, Robbie, season's over for you. Do You want to keep looking at some tape? And Robbie has graciously looked at a lot of tape between the Duke (laughs) gang. he been for two it. weeks since I watched tape. I needed something to do. You needed something. You need, it's like a fix. I need to fix. I'm shaking here. I'm yeah. shaking. Between the Duke game and, the, uh, and then scouting on Liberty. So, Robbie's got a ton of us. Um, so, Robbie, you know, you looked at the film of this game particularly, and I want you as coach to give me what you're feeling, um, what could be done differently, what's on the right track. Because we're going to look at this a little different. You know, usually it's me and Brian in here. Here's a big play. There's a big play. But having someone like yourself on here, it's a different set of eyes. It's it's where we can ask you different questions. You've been on with us before. It's always been great. We If, if you all want to know how long me, Robbie, and Brian have known each other, middle school. Yeah. Middle school. So, Brian and I have with each other and against each other since we were young kids. Y'all played years pop against up. each other. But yeah. we've roughly all known each other 25-plus years. So it's easy to have him on here. Um now Robbie, I know you said before you started today, you 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 did want to give a disclaimer so nobody's screaming and mad at you. Well, I mean, I as a coach, I look at things a little
2: differently than some people do. Um I you know, you deal with players and other coaches and things every day. And there's some critique, there's some ways you you go about business and people just understand that I'm I'm going to be a little tough in some areas on uh, coaches and players as well, but it's all in it's all in improving things, and uh, it's just it's the way I go about things. It's the way I see things, but um, I gotta I gotta make sure I continue the right relationships too for kids of our future and uh, I never know who's looking.
1: but uh,
0: R-
2: R- see, Robbie, uh, what Robbie's basically what saying.
1: Robbie's basically saying if if coaches watch this thing, I, I gotta eh, make sure we're doing everything right here. Yeah. I'm in Coach Hulk's backyard, so I can't be I can't be messing around too much. There you go, there you go. All right, so Brian, oh, excuse me, Robbie. How many times I'm gonna do that tonight? Well, first of all, I am hey, watching some action back I've here. Much worse, Yes, you have, and maybe by me a couple times. Um, we got action going on back here. Toledo versus. That was a heck of a catch by that kid. Toledo versus Bowling Green. It's like 28. It's snowy at the glass bowl. Yeah. All right, but let's flip it to this. Let's recap. 24-7 loss by the Hokies. And we're going to start on offense, uh, Robbie. And, you know, let's take a look at – um, you know, let's take a look at Grant Wells. And, you know, you know the background on Wells. He played at Marshall for two years. Um, but the Duke game – You know, it it was kind of more of the same. And basically, as we look at it here, um, let me get the stat lines up. Because for some reason, I did not have those pulled up. This is what happens when you have to do this part of the show. You forget crap. (laughs) But but Wells was 16 to 28. He only threw for 177 yards. One touchdown, one pick. Um, Ran the ball eight times for 11 yards. Did have a long of 15. So, obviously, he got hit numerous times in the backfield. Yeah. And, and Robbie, me and you were talking a little earlier this week and, you know, for the year, he's under 60 percent completion. He's at like 58. What did you notice in this game and maybe some of the other game? I know you've kind of caught some games off and on. No, yeah. What, what have you noticed in oh, this wow. game that he does to maybe helps that or is lends him to, towards being under that 60 percent and. Is there anything you think they're trying or potentially he could do different? Um, Honestly, watching a lot of the film, and I, I watched several games,
2: you know, just TV-wise, and I, I made sure I checked out a good number of games, especially the ones where it looked like it struggled a little more offensively through some scout stuff. Um, In ways, he's pretty consistent in staying right around that, Fifty-eight to sixty percent completion. He, the the biggest thing I see in it is a lot of times he's throwing on the run because he's not getting a lot of really good protection and he's having to move around. I don't know if it's a if it's all protection wise if they build in a lot of the rollouts and sprint outs and things like that. But there's a couple times I know against Duke, they get some pressure, and he tries to step away from the pressure, and he gets forced away from where his receivers are working. And he ends up having – there's at least twice he has to throw the ball away against Duke. And as we know, throwing it away, that's going to bring down that completion percentage.
1: Always will. But when you say step away, but is that a football IQ thing? Because if you're – if if you know – If you're on left hash and everything's going back towards the right hash and that side of the field, nothing will – I know the inclinations get away from pressure, but isn't that the wrong way to go? Shouldn't you be stepping up or stepping towards where your guys are? You would think so. Yes. Sometimes pressure is dictating and and you try to roll a certain way
2: and then there's even more pressure in that place. You know, he is is a quarterback that we know – Will take off and gain what he can when he can, and so sometimes going, I feel like going away from it. He's just like, okay, well, I can pick up what I can because that's not there. Um, he does have some instances where he makes pretty good decisions, and pretty good throws, and I don't feel like his receivers helping sometimes.
1: All right, all right, that's fair. That's fair.
2: There's lots of short-handed spots, and and sometimes, especially when he's trying to make checkdowns quickly. It's almost like they're unexpected
1: sometimes. Gotcha, right. gotcha. And um, and we're gonna and, and, we'll sure. and we'll get into that. And we'll get into that a lot because we're gonna we're gonna look at the pass game and you know wide receivers and the skill positions. But um is there anything you'd ask him to do different? Like, you know, he's working with Brad Glenn, which I think you know Brad, right? Because when you were at Greenville, he was at Western Carolina. That um right? I, I may have met him once or twice. Okay. Okay, Brilliant. um, maybe I'm confusing you with somebody else. to Have a conversation, with. but well, is there, there anything that, on this staff I know exactly, well. exactly? But is there anything like as you're sitting there, and and you're a defensive coordinator at the, at the high school level? But is there anything that you would be like, you're you feel that some offensive quarterback coaches would be saying to him about some of those things where he is, you know, rolling away? I know like.
2: we have some. With some experience coaching offensive line, I played offensive line. is sometimes I would look at trust the pocket. You know, I know the protection is not great, but sometimes trust it a little bit longer. Instead of immediately rolling out and moving, unless that is their scheme and they're and they're trying to roll them out, you know, step up, make you know, make little steps, move your feet enough and stay focused on what you need to do downfield and not think as much about the pressure. I know it's tough because he's probably yeah. tired of getting hit in a <laughs> lot of ways. But when he runs, I mean, he's not he's not a guy that seems to just veer off out of bounds or, or you know, that which leads to another one. Sometimes sometimes you don't have to take a hit every play. Yeah, you know, exactly. that extra half yard may not be worth the, the huge shot you're going to take at times, but. Mm. You know, I mean, I think those things make a lot of difference. And I know we talked about it, his interceptions and things like that. Yeah. What was it, 30 and 32 games that he's played? Yeah, now? 30 and 32 That's games and eight this season. That's close to one a game. That is. But a lot of what I've seen in the interceptions he's thrown, it's, you know, there's been a couple balls that hit receivers and bounced out. And somebody else catches there's a lot of errant throws on the run um things like that and i think a lot of that can be fixed if he would just settle a little more in the pocket now by no means am I a quarterback's coach and they may they may have that set up a certain way but those are the little things that i would be telling my defensive players if we can get him moving the ball's not going to be thrown quite as actively there's I got a you. chance that it, it bounces off hands and we got a shot taken.
1: So All right. Well, all right, let me ask this next then. You talk, we just talked about the interceptions. He's now started three seasons. He started over 30 games. And I know we, we've mentioned it. Some are off the hands. Some are Aaron on the runs, but how much of his, do you think it's mental now? And how much is mental? What do you think has been said to him about, those throws because obviously eight this year obviously significantly better after game one <laughs> he threw yeah. when he threw quite a few to ODU but when he threw three in that game right uh I thought it was more but 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 let's let me look that up let me but effort it but what do you think I mean, mentally when you when it's somebody that it's like you said won a game how do you how do you coach to that how do you make that regress to where it's not there anymore. And while, while we look at that, like, you look at that and you think, okay, 30 and 32 games,
2: that looks like one per game. But how many, if you go back, how many of those games has he had three or so in the game that'll cut that number way back if you take that one game away? That's he, true. he doesn't seem like he allows it to bother him, but so much, which is a good thing. As long as he's paying attention to what's happening and learning why that happened, um, I, I've dealt. With, I, I've coached a lot of um, a lot of players. I've seen some quarterbacks that have that short memory, and it's a wonderful thing. But I've had some quarterbacks that had a short memory and didn't think about why that happened and allowed it to happen again. Um, so that that's a big thing that I think you'd look at. I didn't spend too much time looking at that. But that would be a thing I would tell him to focus on is looking at why these why they're happening. Not necessarily criticizing that they are, but in a game like ODU, where we're pretty sure he had multiple interceptions, you know what what was something that was going on there? All right. Was he moving around so, a lot? Was there a
1: lot of air passes that way?
2: Well, Just there was a couple. Progression from those.
1: Well, I remember that game. There were a that game. It was like two on him. One on somebody else, and then one was a hail mary at the end of a half. That don't I don't count that. Right, I, don't yeah, I don't count that. So he had four in that practice. game, and he's had this, he's he's got nine this year total, not eight. He's nine touchdowns, nine interceptions. Um, now in ten games. In, in, in ten games, and with a team oh, pardon, that has right. a razor, and with a team that has a razor thin margin like Virginia Tech this year. Exactly. A turnover a game does not help even one a game. Yeah. And he's also, you know, we look at the Georgia Tech game. He had two. He had three total turnovers, two were fumbles. And three of those were in prime field position where it was time to score. And one was at the end of the game when Tucker Holloway had set the team up almost near midfield where you think it's 25 yards and 35 seconds. You can get in field goal range in yeah. win this game. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, give me this is your honest assessment. In your opinion, are the Hokies bringing in another quarterback through the portal next year? I would I would think
2: they need to be looking for something. Look look for an upgrade. I'm not saying that you have to. Okay. But you look for it. If there if there's an obvious upgrade there, then you have to consider it. Um Wells has another year left, correct? Is it just one year left He's got two
1: years left he's got two years left after this. he's got two years left yeah.
2: I mean he continues to show some improvement see what another spring does see how he really goes It's the brown kid that's done after this year right? Brown is done after this year, correct okay um yep, Brown's done after this year. To see how he continues to progress maybe bringing somebody in that gives him a little more competition will will force him to improve a little bit more. He may improve more with, with a little bit better protection in front of him. Um that that's a big thing. He may improve with a solid run game. Um one thing <laughs> I I really noticed in that Duke game the other day the first their first possession, their first play from score. When they score they run a play action and throw it down the side into one-on-one coverage. And, I mean, they beat a man one-on-one coverage because everybody was so focused on that play action right from the beginning. The thought of that run game and getting it started froze them up long enough to get enough separation. When you find out later that there's not a really big presence in the run game, then you can focus on what they're going to try to take away, and that's putting pressure on him and making him throw it when he's not ready to throw. And, and I mean, gotcha. I think there's several aspects that can be improved that that Grant Wells may be fine at that position. But if there's an obvious way to upgrade, then I don't see why you wouldn't look at it.
1: Nice. Just going to say, LeVar, we appreciate you watching tonight. Good evening to you, sir. All right, let's go next. Let's look at the wide receivers and tight end and some of the pass game concepts. Now, a lot of people are complaining about Tyler Bowen's lack of creativity. Now, hold on. I know what you're going to say, but let's just – we'll get to that next. Let me pivot it here. But just from what you see as far as the passing concepts go, is he being creative with some of the play designs out there? I can see, and I I see things that,
2: and I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, I see things that normal people watching football don't see. Oh, a thousand percent. I wouldn't see it. That's why I talk to you and Brian all the time. <laughs> I, I I can see, you can see certain ways they run plays and certain things that they do, how they have RPOs built off the back just by the routes that are run when they make a run play. Things like that. So it's there, but are you getting enough in other situations that warrant them to go after that? Okay. Are you getting enough in the run game to warrant the pressure to come to it so you can pull and throw the RPO and make it effective? Okay. Okay. Those little things. I think the creativity is there. Okay. Yes, but I don't think they can get to it
1: yet. They're standing at the door and they're trying to get in, but the key won't go in the lock all the way. Okay. Yet. So, so when you looked at the concepts and stuff, you say, well, that's a creative play. That's a creative play. And I think it's going to go to what I'm going to ask next is probably why we don't see it. Someone like me, a layman that I look at it and say, well, that was a stupid play. We got four yards. And that's is, do you think it is tough for him and to, to be creative, to show the creativity. And the way I said, it is basically the bread and butter. Is molded and the cheese is melted, or and the butter's melted. Yeah, um,
2: we're we right now we're coming. You know, we, we got the butter on the bread, but the toaster ain't heated up yet. You know what I mean we We can put the we can put the butter on the bread, but if if it ain't uh, if we can't put the heat to it, we can't toast anybody with it. That's true, and that that's a big thing. I think I think we we. We scrounged up our ingredients, but now we've got to now we've got to put it all together to to be ready to use it. And you have to. Brian says it all the time. You have to have something that you can sit on. You have to have that bread and butter that you can count on. And when you get, it's different. It's a different business when you're sitting here watching a team and go, they do this well, and we've got to stop it. And you're so focused on stopping that. Now all of a sudden that slant come in while we were running that power turns into we can pull it from that power because they figured out they have to stop it. And I can throw that slant RPO in the back because that safety's rolling down hard and run to, and and run help, run support. And then that slant gets under that corner and we can break it for a seventeen instead of two or three. It is, and is I'm just it, using that because no, no, that's a that's good that's a good that we, That's something that we do with the hospital. Well, do
0: We're you think
2: they're power?
1: Do you think that's what happened on Saturday? That being one of the first plays ran, they knew the Duke's safety. He is going if he sees it early, he is going to crash. And as soon as he crashed, it was loft and wide open for a massive 50 plus yard touchdown. Where like it, it doesn't look even even though the Hokie's run game is not I mean, to me, it's 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 the worst I've ever seen. it, And I've been a fan close to tw- over 25 years. But they still said, well, they're going to run it. And usually, you know what, second down or early in the game, they are going to run it. They're not going to take a shot this early. They don't ever do that. And then all of a sudden, whoop. And that's what I'm saying. It feels like if we've seen it game in and game out
2: that try to establish your run early and it doesn't work out well. And then we start with the quick pass and, and throwing the ball and doing things like that. Now it doesn't help that you're playing from behind and it's it's quicker to score those ways. Yeah. Rather than grinding it out three yards at a time. But you have to you have to focus on that run early. And I think Duke had the idea that well, we see from their scout tape that if we can shut down that run early, they're gonna make adjustments to go to something else. And so when they ran that play action right there, they're like, here's our chance to to slow one down now. And they took that shot and it was great. And then after that, dude kind of adjusted back and was like, okay, well, we know they they we know they will go over the top, so we've got to take control of that. And maybe, you know, one guy difference, maybe we can stop the run without that one guy to give us some protection and still help. And and I think that was a big thing.
1: All right. Let me ask this, um, you know, watching the tapes and everything. As far as the wide receiver tight end room goes, do you see any issues with lack of talent? And does inexperience show to you?
2: I think I think the inexperience shows in ways. Okay. Um, I think – I don't know that there's a lack of talent. I see some talent there. I see the way some of those receivers move. There's definitely some talent there, but there's some of it's being taken away from those guys because it's focused on them now because there's nothing, there's no one thing that a defense has to sit down and go, we got to take away. And it turns out to be, okay, we don't know who you would think if you have any if you don't have any idea of who it's going to go to then it would be easier to move it around but the receivers don't know it either and it's more of a big it's kind of a not a not so much a dysfunction but I mean there's an issue there when you know there's a there's a mentality behind those receivers hey I've got to be here I've got to make this play to do this or what we're getting and then yeah. If you never know when it's coming, whether he's going to roll one way or the other, he's going to have to check down things like that. It's hard to get in that rhythm, and that's a big thing, too. <laughs> I, I, so,
1: um, I, so I see what you're—I see what you're saying by that—that that you you see the inexperience, but what you also see is there's some guys that can do some stuff, but because so much is not going the right way, like if I told you. If, if, if you told me this team was averaging four and a half a carry, uh, everything would look completely different because yeah. it would be like, those teams are going to be so much worried about to run where you said Duke adjusted because Duke adjusted and Duke still, I'm assuming they laid guys back the rest of the game where they weren't in the picture, but they were still able to hold the Hokies to a minuscule, minuscule amount of rush yards.
0: Yeah.
1: They knew they had, what two good linebackers yeah.
2: and good defensive interior linemen that can oh, shut yeah. down run game. And you know when you have to add an extra guy to those guys that you know you trust, it opens up something somewhere else. Once they knew that they could handle it with those interior guys, then they could put the other guys in
1: in position to help other places, and it makes it that much harder.
2: That's,
1: and and that's I'm what a- I
2: try to do the week in the week out,
1: but. No, I'm assuming too with the inexperience, too because, like, I, I looked through it. The most experienced guy is Caleb Smith. He's a sixth year He was a walk on. He got his he got his uh, papers three years ago, but Lofton's yeah. a second year guy. Wright, who's who's played at tight end, is a true freshman out there making plays. That there's probably yeah. things that I can't see. You can't see, but that linebacker that corner knows exactly what to do the safety knows exactly what to do where someone that young at the college level it's a slow building block to knowing all right he's doing this i'm going to counter with this and it's not one second and i can do this it's it's years it's two or three years versus unless 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 they're special unless they're special yeah i think i think they've got two
2: i think they've got two receivers there that have a, a good upside with plenty of talent in blue and Gosselin, but they're coming in from other programs. So it's not that, I mean, if you really look at it, you got kids that have been there for a year or two or a true freshmen. You got these kids, even though they played years before somewhere else still coming into this system it almost puts them back at the same level of learning everything as a freshman. And I mean, There, there wasn't a lot of time beforehand until you got the spring with some of those guys coming in, and as you told me with, with Blue, there's been some other issues, not you know some personal issues in that way that has cost them a little bit of time as well, and I mean I I completely understand, yeah, going through some of that stuff myself, not in that aspect, but yeah, you know, hundred percent, it's tough to to get your mind focused back on those things. 100%, 100%,
1: 100%, hundred and it stinks for him because he did show out three years ago with Temple, and I think a lot of us expected a lot of him, but considering the circumstances, it's amazing that kid's playing this year. It's yeah. amazing he's playing, and then with Gosnell, and, Oil, I, 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 and let, let me ask that, especially going – and I didn't – this is something I didn't throw on there, but I'll ask you. You introduced a new defensive scheme last year at, at <laughs> your school. Now, this is – how long does it take? And this is at any level of football. But luckily, you've you've coached high school, Robbie, close to 50, over fifteen years now. Like I remember you started in 06.
0: But you've also had players
1: go to the college level and play. And I know you've had conversations. When you had those conversations with those two guys who went to D1 programs, did you have the, what? Did they ever say to you, Coach? I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get this. Because it's that level, Stefan, oh, and I think a lot of us, as me as a fan, I'm blessed. I got Siegla who played D three. I got you who've been coaching forever. I can I pick y'all's ears. So to me, it's like when you say, "Oh, it's like this ain't no six month fix because of talent, yeah, awesome. updated scheme, all this." But how long can you say you really want results? Check back a year.
2: From my aspect of things, we put in a new defense this year. Um, it's not tremendous amounts of different from what we ran last year in just moving one guy around, really. We went from uh we went from pretty much a 4-2-5 to a three-three. So it's just moving one guy back a step, just really all we changed. A lot of the same aspects, the way I took and when I had the young man, the one that went to NC State, when they sent his first, when he got his first playbook there, he looked at me like, "How am I going to learn all this stuff?" <laughs> I said, "You guys simplified me." I was like, "You look at that thing, and they've got 15 different calls for you to go, basically to three different spots. That's all it is, okay? I mean, you're going to go C gap, B gap." Maybe eight yeah. So make it that simple in your own mind. And then you can build upon that. Now, for me, for our kids, I can start day one and I can have these three things I want to get done. And if we get those three things done in a week, then I can move on to number four. If we don't get those three things done in that week, then I continue to work on them next week. But the difference in what I do compared to, to Division One college football, I don't pick my guys. Now, I love my guys who well, don't get that wrong, but I don't get to pick them. They come out and they choose us. They choose to come play. You know what your scheme is. You know what you're looking for. you got to find the players that fit that. And you have to go by the same concept that I do. And if it's not in, then we can't add more to it. But your leash is a little bit tighter, you know. That, that oh, yeah, collar pulling is a little bit tighter, so you feel a little bit more pressure. That that makes a big difference. Um, but I, I think, I think all of them being in a new scheme and, and a new team and different things like that, and that doesn't that won't exclude any of them because none of them were on this team last year, they were in Virginia Tech, but this is a different. Scheme, team, everything from last year. So I mean, it takes a little while to them. and to, honestly, to be to do some of the things as successful as they have, especially defensively, I think it's a great thing that they work towards that. And offense will catch up. offense is a little offense is a little more technical. You have to do these things. Defense, you react.
1: Got it. When it All right. To well, product on the product quickly. React. Well, let's 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 stay continuous on the offensive side of the ball and talk about the position you coach that goes up against every time, and let's talk about the running back, the offensive line, the run game concept. When you look at yeah. the struggles of the offensive line this year, especially in the run game, the pass pro game has been eh, it's okay at times, good sometimes bad, but the run game has not been good. What are you seeing? Especially, you saw the Duke, which it was really ugly.
2: My personal opinion, the way I see it, and I see these offensive linemen, they do good things, don't get me wrong. Several of them have good – some decent footwork. um, Some hand placement stuff is good. They're not quitting, which is a great thing. Um, In in situations like this, that's what you really have to look at. When you really think about – okay, you think about the, the coaches that are on that staff and a type of offense you know that they're looking to run. It's really hard for me to see most of these offensive linemen fitting into that program. A couple of the younger ones may fit the mold, and look a little a little more into it. But some of these older guys you can really tell that they're they're their zone-based blocking scheme kids. And They were recruited as zone-based blocking kids, which means they've probably been playing in zone-based blocking schemes for years. And what we do as coaches is force muscle memory. And it's hard to break it when it's been put in so long. And to put them in something of a power scheme and the things that they're trying to do now, it's very difficult to change some of those things up. So, is there so, yeah, so? I think that's affected them more than anything up front, which in fact, in the end, affects the running backs because the blocking's not there. And maybe the block, maybe the running backs are a little more, you know, zone based type stuff, trying to find things when it's really not going to open and flow the same way that it used to. All
1: right. It's, well, it's definitely well, different in the transition. All right. So, you kind of answered my question, and I was going to ask next about how much is it affecting personnel, but. I mean, you know the name Joe Rudolph. You know how long he's yes, coached in Wisconsin. You've seen players. I mean, heck, you might have ran into him at some of the conferences you went to in the past. But, yep, I mean, what, what can be done as a coach, though? Because you walk in and you see, like, two guys are really – three guys are really good for my scheme. One is green. He ain't going to ever see the field. One can see the field a little bit. One's going to be on the field all the time. But what can you do behind closed doors? Because my assumption is I can't change what I teach because these older guys are going to be gone in likely a year. But what can you do? Because what you're saying to me is it's muscle memory, and that's how we teach it. Rep it, rep it, rep it, rep it, rep it. You only get so much time in the spring. You only get so much time in the fall, and then you're playing football games like what can he what what do you think he's doing is it just the same old same old or is he you have two options
2: it, it, when it really comes down to it in my mind you have two options you adjust your scheme a little bit to fit what you have or you look at your personnel and go these guys are going to be around long enough that they have to learn this scheme that we're going to continue to use and in college football i think he's more into his scheme and they're gonna they're gonna try to get these kids to understand and learn that scheme so he's gonna continue to pack okay and it's just like the, the old stage, you talk about pounding the rock yeah okay Keep hitting it in the same spot is what he's doing he's teaching his scheme he's teaching his team he's he's talking to them about their effort continuing to make little things little progress okay and eventually that rock's going to split keep hitting it in the same spot. Or you could go the route of, well, this is what I've got. I've got a five pound hammer and a chisel. So I could try to make cracks in different ways and see if I can break it that way. But when you get the new guys in and you really want to focus on your scheme, did you improve the guys that are going to be around for a year or so? It's one of those double-edged swords. You can keep forcing it and these kids go, well, I don't see myself doing that. And then they hit the portal and they're out. Got it. You, you don't want to alienate those kids, but you want to continue to work with them when they're there. You
1: have to love the ones you have. Got you. Got you. All right. Next thing, let me ask this just from a coaching perspective. Um, Obviously, you know, Malachi Thomas was out, got hurt in camp, came back significantly late in the season. Um. The primary spell guy and the guy who stepped up in his role, Keyshawn being probably the most explosive running back, is now banged up. Well, how does that affect? Think I'm gonna go Malachi at the beginning of the season, and then losing King or King becoming your primary. How does that affect your playbook and your play calls? Because you saw Malachi Thomas running some of that tape where, like. Oh, okay. Wow. Like he's 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 good. And then it's like, well, you don't get to have him for six and a half games. The smaller Blazer guy, he's going to have to be your primary. Like, how does that change? And how does that how does it affect mentality of an offense too? When you know, you know, hey, we ain't, we're not playing with these guys. Absolutely. Like the
2: smallest little things can, you know, you can have a play, uh, one particular play that you know you want to be really good at, and you know you want to do well. Okay. There's 11 people out there that have to work together to make that play work. Well, you take one back, and it's been ruined this way, and everybody gets used to that. It goes back to that muscle memory. Then suddenly, that particular player is not there. The next guy that comes in to run it is a step faster, so he's a yard ahead of his, pull, you know, he's a half a yard ahead of his puller. If he's a step slower, he's a half a yard behind his puller. So, to pull the pull that hits where the last, the first guy might have hit right behind the puller. Now, all of a sudden, the puller hits and the defender has time to recover and squeeze back. And people don't think about those little things like that. But the difference in speed, the difference in the patience, the difference in the the pad level from running back to running back can change a lot of those things. Okay. And I okay. mean, it,
1: it, it's a big deal. So, I okay. think that's
2: affected a lot of things.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I've never heard – I mean, Brian might have said it, but I've never heard someone say something like that. Basically, this guy, it takes four steps to get there. This guy, it's three. But if the block isn't there, well, everything changes. And with Thomas, he, he got banged up the end of spring, but he was there for most of spring. He was there for most of fall. And I think it was about two weeks is what they're saying before it happened. Two weeks before your first game, he's out. And I know that yeah. you start the game installation, but if that's all you've been practicing with, I, I get what you're saying. All right, let's flip over to defense because you mentioned it a few minutes ago and you're 100% right. The defense has taken strides this year, 59th in scoring, 58th in total. Now where they really struggle is forced turnovers, 129, and only, and only sacks where they're leading up to 80th in the country. And I want to look at the D-line, you know, the leading four on in the interior have only accounted for two and a half sacks this year.
0: <laughs> what do
1: you see they do well? And what do you think needs to change um for those guys? I I don't know how
2: well the statistics show it, but it looks like they play well on the run up front. They can they can they can hold ground. Several of them take on double teams fairly well. They hold ground. They don't get blown way out of things. Now, they try to make a push for pass rushing and things like that. You've got one or two that look like they make some pretty quick steps here and there, but there's not a lot of heavy penetration, not a lot of hard rushing to get, you know, to make things in the offensive backfield, change course, uh rush to get balls out, things like that. And I think that's big up front. And by no means are that, is that not a pretty talented group. I see talent in them. They just don't have the you know, elite level, high end level, you know, penetration rush type thing. They don't have the it's, speed there. It's to it's, put pressure on the backfield.
1: So what you're saying is they're missing. If if that group had one elite guy, just one elite guy, it would make that group. It would make them from good to potentially elite. Yeah, because you because what you because what I'm hearing is they do good. They do things well. I'm assuming when you talk about like holding the runs and stuff, they play with leverage. They play Mm -hmm. in their gaps. They're not getting out of control, Mm -hmm. which is sign of J.C. Price doing good things. Um, Absolutely. Okay, let's, let's look at the edge real quick. And, you know, Garbett's definitely the best edge defender they've got. He yeah. and Griffin are gone after this year. Um, now, you've got Nelson and McCray, who are two younger guys, have played a ton in 2023. A ton. Yeah. How is that going to help them? But if it's two guys that, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're, they're both. They're babies. McCray came in from Marshall. Yeah. He's a freshman. Nelson's a, they're both redshirt freshmen. They're getting incredibly valuable experience at this
2: point, which is something that you're not going to get from a brand new recruit. I mean, we're, we can, they could recruit five, four-star defensive linemen, but they're not going to be able to match that experience that these kids are getting right now. And that, to me, that's a big thing. Because there, there is a difference in what these four five-star recruits are seeing on the offensive line in high school where one out of the five might be pretty good to where they're going to college. And now all of a sudden I'm getting double teamed by two of the best linemen I've ever seen in my life every play against ODU. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about Alabama, Clemson you know, these big teams that you can run into, we're talking about the the games on your schedule where people look at and go, you should dominate them. Two linemen are going to come at you that's probably going to be better than any team you've ever seen in high school. So that experience makes a world of difference. But adding something to that, adding that ability to speed rush, to get, a guy that comes down the line flat and forces you to make that zone read handoff quicker, things like that changes the entire complexity of what you're going to see up front. If you got the time to take three steps on that zone read before you pull it or hand it, then it makes it even easier that that decision is going to be correct or that that decision is going to be more effective. If you got somebody screaming off that edge, if that tackle can't block, now I can't take but a step and a half, and I've got to make that decision now, and it better be the right one. I got you. Those kinds of things make. Most people only think of that of that rush in the pass game,
1: but in the run game, it's just as effective. Let me ask this: you know this scheme pretty well. You know the scheme pretty well mccray nelson getting their reps if the pain kid who came from nebraska is allowed a extra season if you are a defensive end at one of those bigger schools and you are stuck behind a james you know you're stuck behind and will anderson you're stuck behind some of the guys that, and even some of the smaller schools does this scheme defensive end wise if if Brent Pry and JC Price and Kriff Marv called you and it was one of your former students and said, I really think he could come here. Do you think it lends itself to getting someone out of the portal to play that position next year um, for potentially a game changer? I think he I think he could. Because okay. I think
2: you're going to have a better chance of finding somebody that's going to make. An immediate impact there, then you will trying to bring somebody in immediately. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm, I'm all for developing the young guys, and up until recently, I've not been a fan whatsoever of the portal. But it's one of those things; it's not going away. So we got to learn how to got to learn how to use it, and if it's going to benefit you, then use it. Now, I'm not saying go out there and find that the kid just, you know, he's in his fifth year, he redshirted once, he's got one year, but to give us nine sacks this year. You could be losing development on somebody else with that. If there's a kid that's got three years left and you think he can really be effective, then absolutely. I think it's a it's a great thing to look at. But yeah. they they definitely need some help on that defensive front putting some pressure in that backfield and, and making things happen quicker than what's happening. And it, it would change the entire complexity of those of those things. Awesome.
1: Let's flip now to a room that uh you had huge expectations for. And that's a linebacker room. Are they meeting your expectations for this year? Uh
2: meeting them. Um some of them are exceeding them. There there's guys like we said when we talked about this months ago in that preview, you know, we had guys that I thought were shoe ins in certain places and things, and I've seen several of them move around and play multiple different ones. Several of these guys that have played positions that I didn't think I didn't think they would put them in, and have done pretty well with what they've been asked to do. Um, I think Hollyfield has, has drastically improved. What it has shown even more of what he can do, maybe at the next level, that's gonna open things up more for him. We know he can tackle. I mean, once he got five thousand tackles in the seven years he's been in Blacksburg, something like that. <laughs> but I mean, we we see him <clears throat> we see him in coverage more now, I feel like, than we saw him before. And, and he's he's pretty good at it. He's, he's running harder to the edge. He's showing some ability. Now, trust me, I saw some of that when he was in high school. Um, a good friend of mine had to play against them in a, in a state championship game at one point. And that kid was impressive. And I was excited that he was going to Blackburn. But, I mean, you've got other guys back there. You've got um, – hold on. I'm, I'm getting with these names. Is it Artis?
1: got Artis, who's
2: the backup, Mike. Yeah, he's done some good thing, good looking things when he's out there. Um, and, and I think there's some younger guys that have been in and out at different places. I, I think the linebacker group has done well. And I think part of what they've done well is because they know up front that they can hold things against the run game and allow them to play free. There's times where I think we could use the linebackers a little more. To, to rush that backfield to mm-hmm. make those plays. But they've, they've focused on using them the way that they have, you know, filling holes, scraping over, those kind of concepts. And it may just be a part of the way they're trying to progress their defense and, and teach it is get those basics in first. Then we can get a little more exotic with bringing things. Because we saw Pry do some some – Different blitz looks and things at Penn State with a lot of linebackers and, and Michael Parsons and yeah, and, but but Tech doesn't have that kind of guy yet, and so I think he, they're focusing very much on working the good fundamental basics, and it's a really showing that
1: linebacker. Okay, um, those doing some good things. and that makes a lot of sense this year, especially you've got Daxon Tisdale, right? They're they're the mm-hmm. old guys. Tisdale was out for well, 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 Tisdale was the de- one. Well, you heard what happened, right? You hadn't heard the story, yeah, yeah, which is the stupidest thing. He turned himself in. Well, let's give you five games though. Oh. okay. Um, Roy, he might come back, maybe he leaves, maybe he doesn't because he does have a year of COVID eligibility. But I'm wondering what you're saying is, is what's happened this year. I think Artis has eligibility still. Dean Ferguson has. Ele- There's a lot of guys who Jaden Keller, who are young and in those positions. Yeah. And is is what you're. I feel like what you're saying is, he's not going crazy. Is he sending them sometimes on a blitz? Yes, but it's like I'm. If I drill the fundamentals, I don't need to worry about that next year. That'll be exactly. ingrained. Then I can take the next step. Now let me I mean, ask I think this.
2: Feels, I think feels like that group fundamentally. Is going to get better every week, and a lot of them have the potential to still be there next year.
1: Yep, Oliver is really the only one. He's gone. Go. He's the only one gone. Yeah. He's the only one gone.
0: Yeah, now so let me ask so this:
1: the the Sam the yeah the Sam linebacker group, and we've seen yes. Lawson, Jenkins, and Walker. They've all done really good things down there. Yes. How to now? Just you as a coach, when you see. Man, they're doing really good on this outside linebacker spot. Do you want to say – and you're the D.C., but I know you've got to talk to Dave where it's like, listen, they all three play good. Can I pull somebody to backer? Can I pull somebody to the – how tough is that? And do you think at least one of those guys next year, if not competing, will be a depth piece at another linebacker spot and away from the same position? Um. I think
2: what you're seeing now is you're seeing three very good players at that position in the future. And if they turn out to be three very good football players that are very good above several others, then you find a way to put all three of those on the field at the same time. If two of them turn out to be really good football players in that position, maybe you have a good rotation at that position. There's all kinds of different ways. We always look at things as we want the best eleven men on the field. And if that means I've got three of them in one position, and they're if I put those three on the field, it's better than other two that I have. Then I find a way to get them to that position and, and okay. see where it helps. Got it. Got it. Um,
1: got it. Let's put the safety.
2: I can feel that whole Harley field's going to leave.
1: Yeah. And and. It's up to those guys to figure out who it's going to be. All right. Let me flip to safety. When you start checking out the tape on this, is this room playing like – and I know there's some experience there, but there's some young guys there. But is that room playing like it's the first time a guy's ever coached in college football in Pearson Prelude? Um,
2: I think in some ways a little bit. Okay, they're, they're being very cautious with some things. They're allowing him, I think, to learn along with those safeties. Okay, um, it's undoubtedly the DB section of that defense is the youngest group of all
1: of them. Correct. Um, sa- safety, no corner, yes. Definitely is
2: the one of the corners.
1: <laughs> yes, for sure. We'll talk
2: about him in a moment. Um, and like you said, you have a you have a first year coach. At that level. Um, now he played a lot of years and he, he was considered at, at times I, I considered him to be kind of a coach on the field working with with pro players anyway. But he's learning he's learning how to coach right along with them learning how to be coached at that position. And I think there's a bond and uh and, and a chemistry that's coming with that. And you can see progression from the beginning of the season's amount. There's still some things that probably need to be cleaned up and worked on, but there's plenty to be cleaned up and worked on from top to bottom, both sides of the football. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, think just, I think it's just a progression that we're seeing. Yeah. And, and it, it, the fact yep. that both of them are learning at the same, at the same rate is making it a lot.
1: Yep, and and for Pearson next year, only one guy's not coming back. That probably is. That's Jamari Connor, who probably is. You know, his stat guy, his best safety. But I get to your point. Likely next year, when he speaks, because he went through this year with all those guys, they're gonna listen. They're gonna do what he says, yeah. which is awesome. All right, now he, he's he's
2: learning. He's learning defensive stuff from Coach Pry. He's learning defensive stuff from from Mar. he's learning stuff from I guarantee you uh, Coach Jones is helping him with some things and how to coach I mean that's a process in itself is Mm -hmm. learning how to coach these guys because one of the biggest things and we tell our coaches which Coach Watecky and I do a lot of coaching of our coaches because some of our coaches are young and inexperienced Mm -hmm. some of them are older and inexperienced they're just willing to help but we have to coach them on how to coach. You know, they may have played. And the thing we tell guys all the time, especially some of our former players that are getting into coaching, listen, these guys that you're coaching may not be as good as you. So you have to teach them the fundamental parts of things. Lord help, most of them. every player I've had so far have probably been better than what I was. Because I was not a very good player. There's not a lot of athletic ability here. There was a lot of intellectual ability for the game, but not a lot of athletic ability. And I have to learn how to teach those guys the pieces that I know well and relate it to what they do well. And I think he's learning how to do that. And the the more Coach Prelew learns how to do that, the more he'll be able to relay, and the quicker you'll be able to see that
1: progression take place. Got it. Let's talk about Derek Jones' room here, and let me talk the cheetah, the the cheetah, the cheetah. Someone uh, you, you've had some run-ins with when he coached down at Duke, and he I think he had your territory. Yeah. But from a defensive coordinator standpoint, first, when you lose a number one corner like Dorian Strong, and Dorian Strong is a well-rounded corner. Is he extra athletic? He's got some athleticism. Yeah. Is he great at every, but it's like there is no one weak point in Dorian Strong's game. When a guy like that goes down and you're sitting there, Robbie, and you're getting those game plans together, how much does that hinder what a defensive coordinator can call? It's big.
2: When, you, when you've got a guy you know you can count on and you know I don't have to worry about – I can take a guy away from the offense with this. And I don't have to think about that again. So now I don't have that piece. And now that's another thing that I've got to take from the offense and figure out how to take it away. Now I I have been very impressed with watching the, the young man that they brought in for him and uh Monsieur Delane. Oh Delaney yeah. Delaney? Delaney. He he has impressed me. But there, were some, there was a moment, especially in the Duke game, he still shows that he is a true freshman. He's like 19. There are some things that he get, he, yeah. There, there's there's definitely things that come into that progression I was just talking about. Yeah. that The patience and the things like that, because in high school, you could be the best player on the field and you could make a mistake and make up for it real quickly because the guy across from you, was not the four-star prospect. When you get to this college level, everybody across from you is the best guy on their team. So even those little mistakes look big at times. And, I mean, he's going to get better with those things. As he gets, but he's shown enough fundamental things for me as a true freshman that they've got somebody in the next year or so that they're going to be able to set. He's on that. We don't have to worry about that part
1: that right now. <laughs> love, it, it, love it. Love it. Love it. Well, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, um, and I'm going to just kind of get your take on the portal. And you gave me your take. This is just your guess. This, this is just what you've seen. And, you know, I know you don't know the roster as good as Brian and I do um, because you've got your own roster. You've got to manage on a, (laughs)
2: and it's not fantasy. It's, it's,
1: my roster
2: sometimes changes
1: day to day. (laughs) But just looking at what you saw on the field, knowing it's a lot of young players coming through that kind of impressed you the most. Yeah. How many, how many, how many guys in the portal do you think tech should take? Not will take, but should.
2: This is going to sound very vague, but I think you take as many as you need to to improve in the areas that you have to. And I know that sounds very cliche
1: or very. That's coach speak. The yeah. So, somebody's visiting North Wilkes tomorrow. That's why he's saying that tonight. Yeah. Who's visit? somebody's nah, visiting? Somebody's visiting.
2: They're more than welcome. Come see us. It's going to be cold. Bring a coat.
1: Um,
2: If, if there's five pieces there that, that if, there, if there's five people in that portal that fill five needs and can get on that field in the spring and next fall and play and make a difference, then you take five. If there's eight there and three of them can make a difference immediately, and then five could possibly fill some depth role for us. Maybe you take six instead of eight. It's, I really feel like, and we were talking about it before we went on, about the recruits and the class and the things like that. If they feel very strongly about their recruiting class and the guys they're bringing in, focus on those guys. But if you still feel like you have a hole there, use that portal. Again, gotcha. like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of it to begin with, but it's not going anywhere. So we might as well we might as well jump in and, and take what we can. And I mean, if it makes the team better, it makes the team better. Awesome. All right. So 10, four. How about four? That?
1: four? Five, four, five, four, six, five 14, four, three on each. 22. Side. Whatever. <laughs> Well, well, what I can't wait for is when the portal class closes, because now we've got the rule where portals only open here, which I like. Me and Brian talked about. That's what you had to do as a portal. It's open here and it's open here. You can't just transfer whenever the hell you want to transfer. We like that. Um, Now, Robbie, before we get deep and we get into Know the Enemy Liberty, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partner.
0: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
1: All right, and we are back and now it's time for Know the Enemy Liberty. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, Robbie, and let's start with Jonathan Bennett, the quarterback. He was a three-star composite when he came out of Somerville High School in Somerville, South Carolina. Uh, Primarily, mostly G5 offers from him. Kind of took over the role when Charlie Brewer went down early in the season, and and he's excelled thus far this year. You know, over 1,300 yards, you know, 12 touchdowns to nine interceptions. Um, 154 yards rushing. What are you seeing when you looked at his tape um, for this game? He's
2: he is a um he's very noticeable, I would say, at um, that quarterback position. And, and and seeing what Coach Freeze at Liberty has done in many other areas, he a lot of things run through that quarterback and especially what he's done at Liberty with Malik Willis last year, who's I think with the Titans now, which I know Jason's more than excited that we're talking about the Titans right here.
0: <laughs> um,
2: the the big thing was he had an uncommon amount of experience playing behind Willis last year in filling in some games and playing some with some of the research and stuff I did looking at it. He played in nine different games last year. Um, behind Malik Willis. So those are big things. Um, and he's got, he's got a very live arm. He moves around very well in the pocket. He can, he can make things happen with the, with his feet, with his, with his throwing ability. Uh, there was one point on, um, there was one point in the game against UConn. He's running towards the sideline. From pressure, he sees a guy in front of him. He just flips it over in front of him, and they gain six or seven yards out of what he was just trying to get to the sideline and not lose anything. I mean, now, as a quarterback sometimes, that can be a little ill advised. <laughs> not everybody can do what Patrick Mahomes does and switch hands and throw it left-handed just for fun. But those are the kind of things that he does offer, and you have to watch out for hooker. Um, one thing I did notice is at one point in the first quarter against UConn, he gets hit. Um, he gets taken down one time, and I don't know whether he falls on the ball or what, but he comes up breathing hard. He's holding his ribs. He comes out, and they bring in another quarterback, number seven. And I'm going to tell you what. it's Bennett's a, a really good quarterback and a really guy that you got to keep an eye on. If something happens to him and seven comes in, that man's a threat. He throws the ball well, he runs well. And I didn't want to get a lot into him because I think Bennett is the guy that they're they're using and going with. But if you see that next quarterback come in, there's a reason behind it because that kid's got some athletic ability.
1: Yeah, it's probably Caden um, Salter you're talking about there. Oh, um, that's what it was. Yeah, Salter. Yeah, he's he's definitely more of a running threat than Bennett. And um yeah. Probably their quarterback of the future, honestly. Probably their quarterback of the change. future. Uh unless unless Hugh decides to go to Auburn. Nah. Look <laughs> now that Liberty's basically in their backyard. True.
2: We all know that if Liberty wants to keep him there, and as long as he's
1: not chasing the national championship, <laughs> Liberty can pay him just as much as Auburn can to keep. That's true, but it's the lure, man. It's the lure. Let's talk about yeah. the running game a little bit next. Let's um uh, I know you mentioned to me Shedro Lewis is out. He was out against UConn, likely gonna miss this yeah. week. But you know what? And he'd been their primary backup, but with him out with uh the uh the primary guy, Day Day Hunter, who was absolutely tearing it up before he got hurt against Arkansas.
0: Yeah.
1: Um they bring in a third string running back. Third string running back, TJ Green. T.J. Green, originally committed to Utah at um, a Chandler high school in Chandler, Arizona, was a three-star composite, three-star overall in 247 sports. And to me, I like Kyle him. If he takes a guy, you normally feel good about the guy. And I tell you what, I mean, Robbie, I mean, he put up numbers. He put he up numbers. The against first, uh, He was he, a first-string running was back, third-string third running back. And he goes up and goes what? for 119.
2: He was the lead rusher for the team last year at running back. He was one of their best options at running back last year. What does that say for the other two? If your lead leading rusher from last year on a team that did as well as they did is now the third option. Okay. That don't play well. That don't
1: play well for teams that got to figure out how to shut down the run. Not <laughs> at all. So what are you seeing from them? <laughs> What are you seeing from him just uh, as far as playing? And- he he is
2: he is an explosive dual threat out of that backfield. He can hit holes, he can take off, he gets to the second level quickly. Um he'll attack your safeties if if the hole opens enough. Um but he can he can be the guy out to the edge to catch a check down and and, and make moves and, and get out of there. Um he, he's the TJ Green is gonna be a guy to watch. He's gonna be a guy to keep your eye on at every every chance. The big thing is they he runs the ball well. He's quick. He hits holes. He finds his scenes. But it almost looks like Liberty doesn't use it as much as they could. They could literally hand that ball off and grind that guy and, and be very similar to what we saw at Pitt, and hit it, hit it, hit it, and then it breaks huge. <laughs> but it's like, it's like he gets he gets a player of seven or eight or nine, and they go, okay, that was good. Let's try to swing it out to a receiver and see what we can get out there in space. Well, Which you'll find out in a minute it's not a bad option either.
1: Well, well I was getting ready to say, there is a reason – why they don't do that. And his name is DeMario Douglas. He is only five foot eight. He is only 165 pounds. He was not rated coming out of high school down in Jacksonville, Florida. He had some offers from Gardner Webb, UAB, Florida Atlantic, and he finally landed at Liberty. Robbie, before I get into the stats, I'm going to let you break down exactly what you see on him. You can you can see our notes. I know you've been looking at
2: them. What's the very first thing I have on their notes about this guy?
1: Uh the old Dr. Dre song Explosive. Explosive. This guy
2: is their do-it-all. They can throw it to him downfield. They can throw it to him on screens. He's their return man. This this young man is very tough to take down in space. He moves in and out of things well. He moves. His, he he he's very quick on his routes. He adjusts his routes well. Um, and once he catches the ball, that that's just half of it, buddy. I mean, you've got to be you got to be ready to take care of him after that, or he can he can turn a, a five yard catch into a twenty five yard pass in a hurry. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's a quick dude. He's not very big. Looks like he's been wrapped in butter. There's some teams over the season that have had
1: a very hard time keeping hands on him. Um, well, and it shows too, man. It shows because, yeah. I mean, in 10 games, he's got 830 yards. He's at over 14 and a half per reception. He's got six touchdowns. And last week, they got him involved in the running game where he broke a huge one for a touchdown.
2: Exactly. Um, he moved around. And with their style of offense, Uh, And I mean, they're running a they're running a pretty pretty high tempo power spread type deal. You know, they can hit you hard with the with the run game inside, but then you get a guy like this, you can pop out and throw it to him. And with their tempo, the way they'll line up and run plays and move quickly, you got to try to find him every play. And when he's you know what we call the Y or the Z, the outside, the far outside guy now. Then the next point he's in a slot, you know, he's number three in a trip. Next thing you know, he's in the backfield. He's on the the, uh, two receiver side in an empty formation, and he's jetting across. I mean, you got to find him. Play in and play out. He's moving around and makes it tough. Makes it really tough on a defense to have to find somebody that explosive while you're just trying to get everybody lined up because of their tempo, it's going to be a big thing. It's
1: going to be tough. All right. I know you wanted to hit two more players on the offensive side of the ball before we talk about the scheme, and that's the um, tight ends. Austin, Austin Henderson, number 83. Jerome Jackson, number 88. Henderson was originally a Minnesota commit. Um, and Jackson is out of Fort Worth, Texas, uh, basically super under the radar. Um, exactly. What do you like? What do you like? They do. Do they do they are they on the field at the same time or are they kind of interchangeable? To me, when you look at them, you know, looking at Virginia
2: Tech, they both have kind of a uh uh Bloomerick kind of feel. Okay, they've got that link. You can line them up in the backfield as the H-back, they block very well, both of them block very well but they've also got the length and ability to line up out wide as a receiver. And the biggest thing with that is they're blocking well downfield for those screens that they're, that they're throwing to Douglas. They're blocking well inside to help the run game, but suddenly, okay. And we're talking about a defense is looking at personnel. Okay. We got two tight ends on the field. Well, as, as a defensive coordinator, they got two tight ends on the field. They're probably going to run something powerful inside. Well, they do. They line up two tight ends. And they run a power look. Well, then they tempo, get back to the ball, and then they didn't change anybody on the field, which means I can't rotate anybody off the field or onto the field defensively in that tempo. But now they're five wide. Well, what happened to those two tight ends? Well, they're split out wide are just as good a receiver out there as what we need. That's a big thing when you can take two guys that you're setting up your defense to go against a power, and next thing you know, they're out wide and they're on a five-receiver set and things like that. That makes that tempo a lot more dangerous when you can make that many different formations with the same guys that look like a power set. Now I've got you know, four defensive linemen and three true linebackers in there.
1: I've got two linebackers trying to cover receivers. That don't it work. It ain't a, mm-hmm. it. That don't beat. work. Yeah. So what? What else I is mean, it about this? What else is it about the the scheme of Hugh Freeze? Obviously, it's the up tempo spread. It's the having these. I wouldn't say interchangeable, but guys, he can take from being an H or being on a wing to pulling back. What else do you see on this offense? Those things that they do, that they and they do well. They have the guys that can play
2: well in space, and they can move. They can run a back out to one side and have Douglas on the other. You have to respect that on both sides. You have to find those guys in that tempo process. In turn, that makes your defense have to simplify a little bit more to make sure that those calls are easily transferable, easily translatable, and, and set up quickly so that you can be as sound as possible. And I think that's, I think that's good present quite a challenge in some aspects. And, I mean, now, it allows them to be up-tempo and it allows them to put chunks of yardage on the field quickly. In, In many ways, it's happened to me before. It can also turn against you very quickly because if you get into that tempo and that defense finds a way to kind of shut those plays down. Then all of a sudden your offense is on the field for about 17 seconds a game clock and your defense is on the field, you know, a hundred plays and it'll wear your defense down. Got it. All right. When we talk about the defense, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But they can, if, if Virginia Tech can find a way to slow that tempo, even though they're trying to run it or, Shut down the things that they like to do with that tempo. It's going to put more pressure on their defense, which in turn will help tax offense. I think. Got, it.
1: got it. All, All right.
2: Matter of they can get that done.
1: All right. Well, let's flip over to defense and let's um let's talk about a couple of these guys over here. Let's talk about the guy who has been absolutely lighting up the statistical data this year, and that is the. Defensive end, Darrell Johnson, 6'4, 235 pounds, a JUCO out of ASA College up in New up in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm sure you had a fun time watching this kid, Robbie. Seven sacks, 18 yep. and a half tackles for loss, 43 total tackles. He's also forced to fumble, multiple pass deflected, multiple fumble recoveries. Tell me, tell me how fun was it watching this kid and what stood out for you. He's that disruptor that
2: I was talking about that tech needs to look for. He's he's an athlete, but he's not elite, world beaten. His stats look really good. He's not a, he's not somebody that people are looking at right now and going, we'll consider him with a top three round draft pick. But statistically, he's putting up numbers. Yes, he is. He's a disruptor. He's forcing backfield to make decisions quickly, whether it's throw the ball when they're not ready, whether it's to hand that zone read or the or the different things there before they're ready, having to pull it and make the throws on the RPOs quicker than they want to. That's where he's getting class deflections. He's in there; they make the wrong read on the zone, and he's there to tackle it. That's where the tackles for loss are coming from. I mean, he's a disruptor. He's doing things fundamentally well. He sets the edge tremendously well, which yeah. helps him with those tackles for loss as well. I mean, he'll he'll stick he'll stick a hand in there in a hurry and nobody's getting outside of his shoulder. If you try to run a zone or or stretch to his edge, he's got it covered. That's the type of player that he has. He's, he's got some very long arms, he's got a good reach. And those things help him a lot. Um, it, it's helped him a lot with knocking balls down and going to check downs and things like that as well. So, I mean, he's he's definitely going to be an issue on that edge. But the good part is I don't think Virginia Tech's not a team that looks to be running a lot of edge run plays, a lot of stretches and and wide zones and things like that. So his outside shoulder ability is gonna help him most when Wells is trying to roll out the throw balls. I think that's where he'll he'll cause some some trouble in in forcing Grant to try to throw some balls maybe a little sooner than he's looking for, having to adjust his arm angle and, and make those balls go awry a little bit.
1: Uh, And that we know that can happen with Grant, the way this year is going. And, Brian, let's talk about his running mate there on the defensive line as well, Dennis Osagita from Missouri City, Texas, originally a commit to UMass way back in 2000 – 2017. So – he enrolled in 2018, so he's played collegiate football quite a few years. So, really, he's 22, 23 years old. Came through here, obviously, via the portal. Um, 6'1", about 300 pounds, good size. What's the tape showing on him? He is he is a strong, disruptful, forced to double teams, defensive, interior defensive lineman.
2: Um, they they like to line him up in um, a gap over the guard and force the center to have to to help with him because obviously the tackle has a hands full. Opposite of that, with with uh, with Mister Johnson, he he forces double teams, which allows his linebackers to move freely and make tackles, make plays. Um, both of their defensive tackles do a pretty good job of of forcing the attention of the offensive line. And that makes it a lot easier for, for your linebackers to move freely. That's one thing that I feel like we did well here this year was their defensive line forced double teams in places. So my linebackers wrapped up tackles. And I, that's a good fundamental to do with, with the defense. And I think they're pretty good at it. But, but nine defense. Um, I'm not even trying to put that last name out there. Um, <laughs> Dennis. Dennis Demenis. Yeah, Dennis Domenis. De that is a good way to put it. <laughs> he, he he plays low. He plays with good pad level. It's hard to move out of a gap, even with a double team. So if you're trying to pound it into a gap, then he, he's filling it, and your linebackers are coming on either side of it. To, to shut other things down. And um with with the offensive line that has not shown a lot of consistency of making push and and clearing things out in some of those areas, he's gonna be he's gonna be some trouble up front. And, oh, yeah. and those linebackers are gonna be coming pretty quickly. There's no reason why they have the tackles for loss that play in a lot of people's backfield that they do.
1: Oh, yeah, and he himself, I mean, he's got ten and a half tackles for lost six, six sacks, so you're talking about him being disruptive and being able to hold the gaps and stuff, but he's obviously getting up in there and making plays as well. Um, and, yeah. you know, let's flip and talk about the linebackers, because you wanted to kind of talk about all three of them. You've got uh, you got Mike Smith. Uh, he was a JUCO transfer from uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast. Tyreen Dupree enrolled in Liberty way back in 2018, so he's a fifth-year guy. And then Ahmed Walker out of Warner Robins, Georgia. I mean, the, the kid was a two-star coming out of high school. He, he's the class of 21. This is only his second season. He's a redshirt freshman. And this group in general, I know you talk about – Robbie Made mention mentioned like all these guys have 40-plus tackles playing linebacker. Robbie, they got 21-and-a-half tackles for losses group. Yeah. I mean, and, what, and tell a me lot what of you that- see from these three guys.
2: A lot of that comes from they they have protection. And a lot of people don't think about protection defensively. They have a lot of protection up front in those defensive linemen. Those two guys interior wise free them up because they take the blockers and they hit the field and, and run. And, and they they do they do well at it. I will tell you the honest truth. Uh, Ahmad Walker. Reminds me a lot of a uh, uh, Mr. Edmonds that used to play in the Burgundy and Orange.
0: Right. The way he
2: moves, his length, his size—he um, plays very similar games in that way. Um, he's having a pretty good career, I think, with Buffalo. So just a little bit. He, his style reminds me a lot of that, and the fact that he's in his second year, he's going to be a name to hear. And, for a while.
1: 100% upside.
2: Um, Mike Smith, his stats say, he didn't play against you. If he did play against UConn, it was minimally. I don't remember seeing him, but his stats speak for itself. When you go back and look at a lot of the other games, you, you see him a lot. I mean, he's in place. And a lot of that comes from things opening in front of him. Because of that defensive front, because of the the defensive end and those two tackles. When you have five linemen that are there to block, and you have to use all five of them to block two or three, it frees up the linebackers to really make plays. And and all three of them, excuse me, do very well with that. So they should be very appreciative of, of those monsters up front that are helping them. But um
1: Bobby, you you speak. Robbie speaking like a true defensive line coach right there. They're
2: gonna be in our they're gonna be in our backfield. They're gonna oh, yeah. play
1: in our backfield a bit. I got a um, feeling. And, and I and I tell you what, just from what you've mentioned, we we went level here. We went from the defensive line to the linebacker room and the amount of tackles for loss they've got, which I want to talk about when we talk about the keys. But it's <laughs> it's helping that back in. And probably the guy that's benefited the most is the 6'3. 185 pound safety and Robert Ramey out of uh, San Antonio, Texas. I mean, Robbie, we looked at, we take a look at his stats. I mean, I mean, solid, you know, tackle numbers for a safety, but that kid's got five picks. And I I am assuming probably what you see is the linemen are forcing the ball earlier. The linebackers are coming up forcing it earlier. And he's, and he's, and he's taking full advantage of it. He's benefiting of it.
2: Uh, 100%. He's a lot of, um, he's in the middle of the field a lot. Now, I wouldn't say that their, their pass defense, their corners and things like that are the strong point of that defense. Okay. But they're sufficient enough because of the pressure and the things that they're getting up front from the rep, from the linebackers, from the defensive end. The balls are getting out of there quickly and sometimes they're getting out of there errantly. And, and the DBs are, are really benefiting from that. Him more so than a lot. Balls coming over the middle, balls deflected. And, and he's, he's picking things up that way. Um, he's actually very good against the run too. If they get through the other parts, as you said, with the tackles, he's getting those. They're not a lot of long pursuit on big play tackles. It's oh, they squeezed by somebody and now he's there to help out. Um, he, he's a he's a, a very patient safety, I would say and, and catching a lot of those catching those picks and things off of balls that probably shouldn't have been thrown when they were skip um, balls, things like that. So watching him in several games. He's obviously a very vocal leader of that group as well. Okay. And they, they follow him, and he's the he's a very motivational, inspirational part of that defense in the whole thing. So,
0: awesome. Um, I, I,
2: I, I thought we would be doing him a disservice if we didn't mention it in many of
1: those ways. Awesome. What do you see on this defensive scheme and what should? I mean, we've talked about some of the players and you've been mentioning kind of throughout, but what are a few other things to look for in this scheme? Uh, they're, they're, they they eat space, my man.
2: Those guys up front eat eat your your interior space up. It's going to be hard to, to squeeze power runs in there because of the way they clock things up and allow the linebackers to run free. Um, they rely a lot on those double teams up front and allow those linebackers to play in your backfield. Um, They force you to play the game horizontally, okay, from side to side instead of getting too much downfield. Now, if you can find a protection and you can get the ball out, I think Tech can take some advantage with, with some decent receivers. If Grant can stay poised enough in that pocket to get balls out quickly, I think they can take advantage of, the DB's not being the best, but he's got to be he's got to be ready for that pressure. He's gonna take some shots. You got to realize that we're gonna to have to make some some extraordinary push up front to make that run get him work, or else they're just
1: gonna, they're gonna pressure you all night. All right. All right well, let's flip. We got we've talked players, we talked scheme. I want to just talk about a couple of keys here. I looked at Robbie. And I want to talk the first one is Hokie's tackles for loss. Liberty, they give up some on their offensive line. I mean, they're 115th in the yeah. country. They're giving up about eight a game, 24 yards. And the Hokies are roughly a top 50, getting about six. So slightly above average. And after hearing you mention about this offense and the chunk plays and how quick they can go out, if we aren't, if we don't at least hit their average, it's going to be a longer day than I think it's already going to be. So if you're telling me we're down to what we normally average it's not going to be good at all if we can live in that backfield.
2: Yeah. And it's going to go back to what I was talking about. If you can if you can play in that back, if you can play in their backfield and force that tempo to run them off the field quickly, then Texas defense is going to be on the field less time. And Virginia Tech's going to have to control things off the if Virginia Tech can't control things offensively and the defense forces liberty in on and off the field quickly and, you know, three, four or five play drives and getting the ball back,
1: then both of these defenses are going to be wiped out by the end of it. Oh, I don't I don't, gonna, I don't doubt that whatsoever. I don't doubt that. But but you, we've already mentioned it with Liberty too about tackles for loss I mean they're the best team in the country at getting tackles for loss they are and yes. and now the Hokies I'll are atrocious the but they're not atrocious they give up a little they actually I'll give up less than Liberty they're not as bad as you think um, I think a lot of what goes on with that offensive line is what you've seen is not being able to either missing a step or getting there and not making the push where they're not getting driven back. But when you're playing a team like Liberty and you see them, you know, nine, 10 times a game on top of potentially what they do is sacks, I mean, if they hit that average, it's again going to be a long day. So you you you've said it, they make you play horizontally. And I think in some ways it's okay to play horizontally because going into a wall 40 times and getting 1.6 per carry ain't going to do anything to you. At least horizontally, at least horizontally. If you can miss a tackle, get eight yards. Exactly. Perfectly set up a screen, get 20. A, you're going to probably see the safeties move. It's going to slowly start moving the box where you can say, Grant, we're about to take the shot. You said it three or four times. Be poised, stand in there because. Dwayne or Caleb can beat these guys. These aren't corners. Yeah. We're going. It's going to be pushed, but you're probably going to get hit as you finish your throw. Oh, there's there's no problem. Robbie's <laughs> like guaranteed he gets hit yeah. twelve times. All right. He's gonna need the other thing, back, right. I'm going to say something on this too with my next point. I've never seen a nine-win team be this bad in turnovers. Liberty's turned the ball over 21 times this year. That's to win nine games. And I know what people will say is, well, look at the look at the competition. You know, yep, they did beat Arkansas. Yeah. But they've also played some of the worst teams in the country. And uh-huh. I think we, we talked about how low Tech was this year at forcing turnovers, one of the worst in the country. To have a chance in this game, Tech has to be at least plus two. Absolutely. At least plus two. And uh, if they if they can't if they can't force Bennett, and Bennett's shown a propensity to throw the ball away. Like you said, you said he'll yeah. get rattled and he'll make stupid decisions. Very ill advised Ill advised. So if they can take advantage of that, there's a chance. But they've got to make yeah. that. And the last piece, and I didn't put this on here because I couldn't think of a third one. But you mentioned a T.O.P. in and them. Somehow, Liberty, even when they lose, they when, when they have the not-so-good games, there's still a T.O.P. of 30 minutes. Yeah. I think for Tech, and after what you said, when they get them off the field, they have to figure out ways to extend drives. And it's not been pretty. It's not. Tech's one of the worst in the country at it. But if you can find a way – they To me, if you know, to me, this should be the game if you're Tyler Bowen. Empty the clip. Oh, empty absolutely. The clip. Nothing, empty there's the nothing cl- to lose. There's nothing to lose right now. There's nothing to lose. As long as you aren't endangering the players, nothing to lose. All right. And, and I,
2: you know, we talked about it a little bit at the very top of the show. And, but we haven't really mentioned another part of it. This could very well be the last game of the season. It's true. Very well. There there are some questions about whether UVA will finish their season. So just put that out there. This may be it. So why not put it all out there? Why not throw it all out there?
1: Yep, it's very true. Um, All
0: right.
1: Well, Robbie, it's the fun time right now. It's prediction time. Uh You are the guest. I get to lead. Um, just the way Tech's played this year, the stuff we've mentioned at the top of the program, how Liberty's played on both sides of the ball. Um, I do think the game's competitive, but I think it's what we've seen all yeah. year with the Tech defense. I think that third quarter comes, and they're, they're probably down 2010, 2013, and like we saw against West Virginia, against Pitt, against NC State, and against Georgia Tech, eventually the defense, and you're a defensive coach, they see it and they it's it's Wiley e. Coyote. They get to the end and it's like yep. and Liberty pulls away at the end. Yeah. Where you got them? I
2: I'm saying, like you said, their half, first half, you're probably looking at a seventeen, fourteen ball game. You know, I think it'll be close at that point. I think Liberty pulls away at the end. I think the tempo Gets to be a little too much. Um, just don't have enough rush, enough pressure in the backfield to force them to to make decisions too quickly, and um, that they, they put a couple on the board at the end after they've worn it out a little bit. I'm
1: gonna go thirty-one seventeen. All right, and Brian did text in his. He is also going Liberty, and I think what we all see here is he's going 27-16, and knowing Brian, he's probably thinking similar to us. It's going to be a fight, and then – and you mentioned it a couple of times. Liberty's got some – Liberty has depth. They have some players that yeah. can step in, right. and so, uh, yeah. All right, so one more thing, and we brought Robbie into doing a big screener, and Robbie, I'm going to let you lead the way because – what other than the tech game, what games will we be watching this weekend, Robbie? Kind of your second free weekend to watch football and yeah. not have to think about what happened on Friday night. What game are you watching and why? A lot of I think a lot of people are gone.
2: A lot of people that listen in are going to be like, What is he thinking? Uh, my big, my big game, I want to see, I'm going to watch Wisconsin and Nebraska, and, and I know both teams have been through their been through the ringer this year both looking already into works to finding their next head coaches and, and all of those things but um, it, it's the it's thing that I like to see as a coach. You got two teams basically right now they've got their backs against the wall and they're going to swing with everything they have and Nebraska has been doing it longer than Wisconsin has <laughs> but Wisconsin's trying to figure out exactly you know whether the guy that they have there the interim right now is the guy that they need to stay with, or if they need to move around. And all of those guys that are on both of those teams have a lot to fight for. And they want, they want to get the respect and, and, and they're going to fight through everything. And the fact that, um, Nebraska is the 12 and a half point underdog <laughs> against a team that really hasn't, you know, dominated anybody at any point I I said I'll take Nebraska with the 12 and a half and uh the big thing is though I think they're gonna stay under that 39. I don't know that there's gonna be a, a big scoring output by either side but <laughs> well, uh, well uh line definitely play. Wisconsin's not gonna walk away with that 12 and a half point win but it's gonna be a it's gonna yeah. as as some of the the old ESPN Reporters would say it's going to be a slobber knocker. A slobber knocker. They're going to go at each other, you know, forehead down, power through everything they can, and you're going to see some good football out of both of them, I think. All
1: right. I'm actually going to be in the Big Ten as well. <laughs> Completely different reason, though. I'm, taking, I'm going to be watching Iowa, Minnesota, late in the afternoon after the Tech game. Because I actually want to see an under of 32-and-a-half hit. Because I, honest to God, I think it will. Because Iowa is dreadful offensively. They actually make Tech and occasionally look good, which is really bad. But Minnesota's also really good defensively. And they're not the greatest offensive output. I honestly think they're – I want to see if that game can stay under 32 points. And I think also – you oh, could yeah. see a 13 10 game there. You could.
2: And, and, and be right there under it. But you could see a 17 16 game and make 33 points and make a whole lot of people back. Oh, But it's still people. a fantastic defensive football game.
0: It 17-60. will be a fa- Exactly. So, <laughs> All that's,
1: right.
0: that's a
1: tough one to run. Exactly. Brian, he, he hit us up. He's also going with the future Big Ten matchup. So this is the Big Ten big screener the USC UCLA Battle of LA. Uh, UCLA, a one-and-a-half-point dog. The over-under is 73-and-a-half. Um, Brian, USC basically, USC to win and cover, and he's going to take the over to it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with him on that. So, um, yeah. you know, that's going to be a fun game. What time is that game Saturday? If that's a 10 o'clock game, oh, I would not see like, With both of those teams on the West
2: Coast, it's got to be a nine, eight, nine, ten o'clock game.
1: Well, 8 I can live with. An eight o'clock game I can live with. A ten o'clock game—that's oh, an eight o'clock kick. I might actually watch I that. that. I can't do. Yeah, I don't know if I can do that. I had to go home after school today to
2: take a nap, so I could be up this late to do this tonight.
1: <laughs> well, well, Robbie, I'm gonna say this, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, brother, to look at this tape to step in for us on a tough week. Um, because when he I told me, his, it, I it. oh, well, you not well, listen, we already, are, we already are looking at when to book you for next year at least twice, maybe three times. Maybe I'll take a break and you and, you and Brian can, uh, can jump on here. Maybe I can go to Disney World. I with mean, three I think, kids. I think Charlie, would look, Charlie and Jack would look good in a set of Mickey Mouse ears. Oh, they eventually will look good in a set of Mickey Mouse ears. It is the <laughs> cost to go to Disney World with three kids. Don't ever look at that. It'll scare you. It'll scare you. Don't have to worry about it. Don't have three kids. I know. See, what'll happen is your entire defensive unit will want to go and it'll take like 60 kids. Yeah, it Nah. Alrighty. Well, y'all, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm Curtis Wilson. Robert Compton. Visit Boundary Corner's website, boundarycornervt.com to listen to all of our episodes while you're there. Do not forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is continuously growing. Probably you're going to see Robbie on the YouTube channel in the off season. I got a feeling we're going to be getting some film where we can – y'all can talk and break down, which I'm getting more and more excited about. Oh, I do that. Um, oh yeah. Also, podcast, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, all most of your favorite podcast sources, we are there. As always, he mentioned him earlier, our buddy Jason Longdown and No he plays us in, he plays us Good out. Jason. Check him out. He's got a website, jasonlawmusic.com. It links you to all of his music on Spotify, his YouTube, and Facebook pages. I think he covered some Sturgill recently on Facebook that I saw the other day. Um, I listened to it, but... Man, things go in and out of my head. All right. We thank y'all, as always, for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies and Vikings.